Hey, welcome to the Wildscast. I just finished a wonderful conversation with Sarah Gig, better known as Hasidic Hipster Girl. She's really an amazing example of how we can use social media for the good. And that's what we talked about. How can we use things that are potentially divisive and difficult, like Instagram, and do something positive with it? We also talked about my friend Rudy Rockman's most recent controversial statement on anti-Semitism. And how do you relearn your Judaism? Sarah relearned her Judaism in such a way that I think is powerful for us, whether we've been raised with it or not, to find our place in the world of Torah and to use Judaism to really help us in our personal everyday lives. Uh, I hope you enjoy, take a listen, and don't forget to subscribe to the Wildcast by clicking the link below or just going on wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, welcome to the Wildcast and welcome Sarah Gig. Hi. What a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. It, it, this is very exciting for us too. Um, you are better known as Hasidic hipster girl. That's right. Uh, for those of you unfamiliar, uh, Sarah is an amazing content creator on Instagram. She makes these awesome videos on Torah and Judaism that get her following, which is pretty big, inspired and closer to God and their Jewish identity. And I, I thank you for coming on. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Where, where are you from? Such a great question. Um, I was born, <laughs> it's just a very fully loaded question. I was born in Paris. I was raised there until I was 10 years old. Mm -hmm. um, then I grew up in Toronto, majority of my life. I went to high school there. Um, then I went to also university there, did my undergrad. And then I moved to Crown Heights for three years right when I got married. And now I live in New Jersey and I've been living here for two years. So oh, wow. I'm from a lot of places. I, I, I hear, I hear. And are yeah. you, were you raised in the Hasidic community? Um, so actually I was raised in a very culturally and religiously mixed household. So my parents were, you know, they were born and raised in Morocco, but then they chose a path for themselves. Um, they became more observant as they went along in their own individual journeys. They met each other. Um, and then they raised us with the values that they thought were prominent for each of them. Um, I went to a variety of different day schools and synagogues like Ashkenaz, Sephardic, Chabad. Uh, so I really had the opportunity to explore my Judaism. And uh, I also chaperoned many trips to Israel and I met people from all different walks of Jewish life. Um, also, in my undergrad, I was very much in discovery mode. And I did a, a bachelor's at York University of Humanities and Liberal Arts. And I took a few different world religion classes. And that made me go right back to my roots um, and dive even deeper in my Judaism than before. Because I was recognizing that so many religions and so many morals and societal values are based within Judaism. Yeah, it's incredible that we don't, um, those of us who have been even in this our whole lives, uh, we hear these things out in the world. We don't necessarily always realize how so many of them are just based in classical Judaism. But yeah. I, I think some of our listeners might um, find this surprising, but you weren't always so into Torah. That's right. And so into Judaism. That's right. But as you like to call it, you've sort of relearned. I think that was a term. Yeah. You've relearned your Judaism, which has brought you to where you're at now. So tell us what happened. How did you relearn your Judaism? Yeah, so I think it wasn't just like one specific scenario, but it was rather just like wanting to constantly pursue exploration 
not necessarily with Judaism. I was just such a curious child ever since I was a little girl. And growing up, I was just curious. I would ask questions to everyone that I met just about their circles. Like, what's it like in your Jewish circle? What's it like in your Buddhist circle? What's it like in your, any person that I would meet, you know, throughout the course of life, I would ask questions. And, and I think what the really, what really happened was that in my university years, as I would be diving into different um, conversations with people from different backgrounds, I recognize that Judaism is really at the core of so many religions, like I said before, and just so many moral values that I had to dive in deeper. And I dove in deeper. I connected with different rabbis, like Sephardic rabbis, Chabad rabbis, Ashkenaz rabbis that led different organizations. And I just saw that there was such a difference in the way they each led their Judaism, even though we're, you know, it's one Torah, one, um, you know, one Torah, but it's so, so many different, different ways, you know, like we say, Shivim Panim Torah, 70 ways to the Torah. And um, I really connected to Chabad philosophy, because I found that they were, they had such a balance of being so immersed in Torah and spirituality, yet at the same time, being so involved in the physical world. And that really amazed me. So I started reading more and more uh, teachings on the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and um, I definitely would say that I now stick to his approach in philosophy. Mm -hmm. I still am mm -hmm. very connected to Breslov ideologies as well, uh, but I did choose a Chabad lifestyle for myself. I, I married a Chabad, full-on Chabad guy. And oh, wow. um, yeah, that's, um, that's, that's, that's committing. Yeah, that's definitely a commitment. Mm -hmm. I knew that that's what I wanted um, mm -hmm. after I discovered it for a while. Yeah, but wow. I, in, in regards to like unlearning and relearning Judaism, you know, and, and how to um, what to tell people, I would say like, it's so important to unlearn and relearn. But in order to do that, like we need to have the desire to search a desire for learning a desire for a Torah for our roots, our religion, our background, our values, our history, desire needs to be there in order for us to explore. And, and, and let, let, let me just pick up on that if it's okay. Sure. I think a lot of people struggle with this idea. And I think you could be very helpful. What what would you say to someone, let's say, because there's two populations, MJE, the organization I'm uh, privileged to lead is primarily outside of the Orthodox world, 20s and 30s, who weren't raised in, in the Orthodox world. But I'm curious, how, how would you help spark that desire for these two different populations? A population, we call them FFBs, yeah. from, from birth, people who are raised already in the Orthodox world who have been, I guess, fizzling out. Mm -hmm. Right? How would your how would you spark? What would you recommend somebody do who was raised in it and fizzled out, or someone not raised with much Torah observance? Maybe went to synagogue a couple of times a year, um, but wasn't you know didn't do the Shabbat thing or keeping kosher or didn't go to day school. How would you speak to those two different groups in terms of your own personal journey? What you've learned. So for the great question, first of all, uh, because it's not easy and I, I am in contact with people um, from both backgrounds that you mentioned. And I think that the people that come from a from, from birth background, they already have experience and they don't necessarily want to engage in the practice. What would be great is for them to explore what is it that triggers them about religion? Because we all have our, our trigger points. And, and for the most part, our trigger points don't come from the Torah itself, but they come from the educators that taught it to us mm -hmm. in a twisted mm -hmm. way and um, who did not teach with love. And I think Torah is love. And unfortunately, the people that teach the Torah are not always filled with love. You know, 
everybody is human. We all come with our challenges, including to our educators and rabbis, and people could have extremely traumatic experiences from the system. And it's really important that they go through the motions of whatever it is on learning, doing their thing, and then also giving it another chance by relearning Judaism and understanding that the Torah is a godly thing. So, so going back and relearning what triggered them with someone they trust. Yeah. Yeah. Relearning whatever it is that triggered them with someone they trust. So that would be for the, yeah. For for the, yeah. Before, and before we get to the other population, that's a great answer because you distinguish between the Torah itself and let's say the way the Torah is presented. Because listen, as long as the Torah is going to continue to be presented by people, um, mm-hmm. And people are flawed. Some teachers are going to be great, and some are going to not do a very good job. What, what do you yeah. say to someone that had a bad experience with, let's say, a rabbi or an educator in their youth? How do you help them sort of heal from that so that they can relearn their Judaism? I think it's important to give them space to be and do their own thing. Um, I think rushing into learning with that person is not necessarily the healthy way to go. Um, mm-hmm. listening mm-hmm. to them, just being there for them and hearing everything out, just giving them the space and having them come back on their own. And they will do that naturally. When you give them the space, you provide that space for them. I think a lot of the times, the reason why people were triggered is because they didn't get the opportunity to express themselves or their concerns or ask their questions and they were just shut down. Mm-hmm. So just providing that space is really healing to their Jewish journey. Great. Great. And, yeah. and I'm sorry, I cut you off. You were about to start um, in terms yeah. of the other population. Let's say the more the MGE crowd, um, somebody who grew up in Long Island or in Queens or I don't know, it's somewhere yeah. in the tri-state area, had a very nice, you know, kind of Jewish upbringing, but not terribly committed. Mm-hmm. And we at MG, as you know, are really, you know, that's our mission. Our mission is to engage that population, get people more involved. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for those people, I would say something completely different, of course. And for those people, I would say, uh, what's one thing that connects them to their Judaism? Is it Jewish food, bagel and lox, gefilte fish, cholent, whatever it is, uh, their favorite holiday, their favorite Jewish persona. Every Jewish person has one thing that they're connected to within their Judaism, everyone, whether they know it or not. So let them start off with something that they know, whether it's literally what's the background of a bagel, where do bagels come from, or... um, you know, whatever it is that intrigues them, whatever it is that they're connected to, their favorite Jewish holiday, hey, let's dive more into Hanukkah. Let's dive beyond the donuts and the oil and the eight days of miracle. Let's dive beyond the surface of what I know. And I think that's a great place to start, like when it's something they already like and dive in, diving into that topic even deeper. Because, you know, you're, you yeah, know, that's great advice. That's great, great advice. You always operate from the point of strength. But it's interesting you give the example of bagels because, you know, it's become like almost a joke amongst the many of my students that like, that's a lot, unfortunately, of what Judaism was for so many Jews growing up. It's like a gastro experience. Mm -hmm. You know, it's chicken soup, it's bagels. And Mm -hmm. and that's nice that they're positive associations, but very superficial. How do we help? And this is difficult. I don't don't expect, there's no simple answer to this, obviously. I've devoted my life to this, but... How do you get someone from bagels and locks Judaism? Because there is such a Judaism, bagels and locks yeah, Judaism. Yeah, for sure. To that, you know, the depth like that you found in your in your observance, in your Judaism. 
I would go from exactly where they are. Bagels and locks. What's the origin? Let's dive into bagels and locks. Why do Jews think that that's the, the definition of Judaism? What are they missing? How, how did those Jews get to that point where they may be suppressed in time of war and wanted to assimilate? Like what got them to bagels and locks? Mm -hmm. Whatever the person is holding, so like what got them to, to, to even, even someone who does Christmas and Hanukkah together, there's still that spark of Hanukkah. There's still the Jewish spark. So what made someone get to the point where they celebrated Christmas and Hanukkah? Maybe they had to assimilate. Maybe they had to hide. Maybe they had a grandparent who was afraid of their identity during the war or whatever their background is. But I think it's so important to dive deeper than just the surface, than just the biggest and locks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's been, we're, we're about to actually go to Israel next week, bringing a big group from MGE to nice. the Holy Land. And yeah, I, I it's there's nothing better in sort of the outreach arsenal than to bring a young Jewish person to Israel. And I think it's one of the reasons it's been so effective, birthright and the like, is for, I think, what you just said, that once you start seeing the depth, it's very hard. I, I find it in America, I don't know, I find it harder to demonstrate the depth yeah. in the United States than in than in Israel. I'm not saying it's impossible. We've, you know, we've, we've done it and there's a lot of active Judaism here. But, um, you know, there's a lot of superficiality and that superficiality has, I think, has found its way into our Jewish practice. You know, it's become very surface level. Yes, you know? very much so. And America is more of a comfortable place, whereas Israel, people choose meaning over comfort, which is why it's, it's easier yeah. to talk to talk to a group when they're in Israel versus in America. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they're more receptive to it. They're also in their zone. They're more receptive to hearing and understanding Torah versus here where, where we, I'm going to say we, myself included, we're immersed in the physical world, very much so. And it's much harder yeah. to see the light. Um, but we're I also not asked, And we're also not asked to dedicate anything so much. I mean, that's every Israeli, whether they're observant or not, is called upon to serve in the army. Yeah. And just by virtue of that, act that sacrifice that's going to develop a commitment yeah the army is a commitment and a milestone that's like on someone's resume for life like it's it's with them for life and i i definitely understand like that that perspective that we don't really have that opportunity here in america like serving for our country our country is israel and you know people who don't serve in the army it's kind of like what what do they have here that's kind of what you were saying right yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what we have here. During the same years, 18, 19, 20, that an Israeli is serving the army, an American Jew is going off to college. Right. You know, I'm not saying that everything <laughs> I'm not saying that everything that happens on college campus is awful. Some people, like you just said, you had a bit of a reawakening on college campus when, when you went where'd you said you went to York University you in Toronto? York. Yeah. yeah. So you said that something, you know, my wife also, she went to University of Wisconsin years ago, but she studied philosophy and she met a guy who was more observant and that opened up a whole new kind of, you know, it can happen on college campus, yeah. but typically compare what an Israeli goes through 18, 19, 20 mm -hmm. with an, an American. Yeah, know? it's really different. It's so dramatically different, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's why I would say... Um, finding Chabad Hasidus for me was really a huge awakening because it mm -hmm. gives me this sense of, of meaning every single day. Like I'm sure we'll go into it further on in the podcast, but just to touch up, touch upon it is that we as 
as Jews from the Hasidic perspective, the Chabad perspective, believe that we are partners in creation with God. And we believe that every single morning that we wake up, it's because God chose us to be awake that day. And therefore we have a lot of things to do um, as co-creators. And if we don't know where to start, because that sounds so overwhelming, what do we do? Wow, such a huge responsibility. We start little by little with the mitzvot. Oh, it's the morning time. What mitzvot are categorized in the morning? Oh, we have prayer, we have eating, you know, a nutritious meal, saying the blessing on the meal, after the meal, and all these little mitzvot that we think are so little that we can just skim over and skip over are actually huge. They're actually the avoda and they're actually our work here on this earth as co-creators. And how, how that's beautifully said. Tell, tell us a little, let's drill down on that a little. Sure. How, do, how do the mitzvot allow us to co-create with God? Um, so a mitzvah is a connection is a physical act that connects man, individual, down here to God. So it's a direct connector. And every time that we do a mitzvah, we connect with God. We, we invite godliness into this world and we invite the Shekhinah to rest upon us. And we, we slowly and slowly um, reveal truth because God is truth and God is love. We slowly reveal truth by doing mitzvot. And that's why we have such a big responsibility. So, so introducing, it's basically you're, you're, the way you're, and this is very Tanya. I've been studying Tanya for yeah. the last couple of years and teaching it. Nice. Um, so this is basically, in other words, what you're saying is that the mitzvot allow us to introduce and to reveal God in the physical world. Yes. And that is a co-creating kind of thing mm -hmm. because what was the whole purpose of creation what was the whole point of god creating the world was to fill what what let, let's 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 develop it from there a little more um the whole purpose was so that was to fill was to fill the world with godliness but he couldn't do that because god himself is so grand and so big that if we were to experience god right here right now we would die we wouldn't be able to contain ourselves and so he had to contract himself in so many different levels, which is why there are so many worlds we learned in the world of, so right now we're in the world of Asiya, which is the world of doing, which is why the Lubavitcher Rebbe says, Ma'ase Hayikar, the act is the key, because we're in this world of doing where every single action counts, counts so strongly. And then we have the world of um, creation, the world of formation, and the world of, of um, essence. So we're not in all these worlds. These worlds are, you know, are way above us, but we are in the world, the world that we're in, we should tap into, which is the world of doing. And so back to the original question, God had to contract himself in so many, through so many different levels. And therefore the way he's presented here is in a concealed manner. And we as physical finite beings do not always see God because he's concealed. But one way to see him is to reveal him by doing a mitzvah. So every single time we do a mitzvah, we reveal God. And the more and more of us do mitzvot, the more and more we reveal godliness into this world, which is why Chabad people are so keen on getting random Jews to put on tefillin because for them to do a mitzvah is revealing godliness. And if that person never had the opportunity to reveal godliness in his lifetime, it's, it's tremendous. It's so grand. And that's why it's in any place. It doesn't matter where you live. 
doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter when, what time of day. It's any time. It's unlimited. Because when we do a mitzvah, we touch the infinite realm. So we're, 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 we're not constrained. You, you said that so beautifully. You know, I used to be very cynical when I used to see a Chabadnik putting tefillin on. And I was like, maybe this guy doesn't even believe in God. He's wrapping his leather straps on him. I and was then, the same way. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then when you, study, when you study this philosophy, this approach, which is that all of these God-given commandments, these mitzvot, which are really connectors, as you said beautifully, they're designed to reveal Hashem mm-hmm. in a world where he appears hidden. Yes. So then even if the person isn't so connected, it doesn't matter. They're still accessing. They're still exactly. accessing that divine, that spiritual light and, and revealing it in the world. What do you say, though, to someone? And this is difficult. Um, you know, it sounds beautiful. Sounds great. I, I'm i very bought into this, uh, even though you, I'm not a Chabadnik, but I have tremendous, tremendous respect for the writings and teachings of all of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's, beginning with the Baal HaTadya. Um, that, by the way, anyone listening to this, I mean, uh, I teach this class every Wednesday night at 9.30 um, on Tanya and is written by Rosh Zamaliyadi. He was the founding uh, Chabad Lubavitch Rabbi. He was actually the third in line of all the Hasidic Rebbe's. Anyway. Nice. That's awesome. You're welcome to come. Um, yeah. And the question is, is um, you know, God has done such a good job hiding himself. <laughs> so much so that he's, he's confused a lot of really smart people. Yeah. who think he doesn't exist at all yep. because, you know, how to explain this, how to explain that, you know, mm-hmm. what do you, what do you say to someone? And I'm not expecting some perfect mm-hmm. answer. I'm just curious, like, um, you know, in terms of this kind of philosophy, what do you say to someone? Cause it's not like I'm going to, you know, prove there's a God um, necessarily, but, but yet we're, 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 we're tasked to reveal him. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest misconception is that we try to understand God with our limited finite minds and God is unlimited. So our finite minds cannot grasp something that's unlimited. That doesn't go together to feel God because we can't understand God. So to feel maybe even sparks of godliness, we don't use our intellect. Actually, we use our soul. We have a godly soul and an animal soul. And we use our godly soul, which is literally a piece of him to connect back to him, to connect back to source. And that's what we use and understanding, learning about how we're built, you know, what a mitzvah does, what the animal soul wants, what the, what the godly soul wants, learning about that helps us understand God. But even then, even if we learn it to the T, we cannot fully understand God. But once we know what faculties we have in our, in our body, and what each one, how each one functions, we can we can feel the connection once it actually happens. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, so it's, yeah, it's so, above so intellect. It's, like, it's above intellect, and basically, yeah. what you're suggesting is that in order for somebody to let's say come to the belief in God, they have to feel them, and in order to feel them, they can't simply fat because we can't fathom God intellectually. We have to sort of, uh, I guess, experience God. Yes, you have to we experience, have to experience God using a, a, the part of us that was given to that that can experience Hashem, which is a part of God Himself. Yes, God and of, soul, you said. of course, learning is extremely important. Learning the Torah is the Torah is God's will; it's an extension of God. So, by learning the Torah, we get to learn what 
God's will is mm -hmm. and learning it very thoroughly. You know, there's different levels, hard days, right? Shot, Ramesh, Rosh. So there's so many different levels and layers to unraveling a simple word, a simple letter even. So of course, more learning will help us, you know, understand parts, but the feeling and experience in God is where the magic happens. Mm. See, that's a very different approach. I'm, I'm, I'm writing some of this up right now. I'm putting out a book, a basic Judaism book, and nice. I have a, my chapter on God. Thank you. My chapter on God, I, I'm splitting it up, saying God from without <clears throat> and God from within. You just described God, how to find God from within. Mm -hmm. Okay, I think very, very beautifully. In other words, by using in the mitzvot and accessing the part of you that's connected to God already, mm -hmm. you find God. The finding God from without would be to study science and nature. It's more of a Maimodian, the Rambam approach. If you study yes. science and nature, you'll come to the conclusion there must be some something out there. Now, scientists might try to come up with some other explanation. I think Jewish history is even a more a powerful um, yeah. I don't want to say evidence, but um, manifestation of God mm -hmm. out there, you know, because yeah. to continue to explain the continued existence of the Jewish people, if you're familiar with that famous Mark Twain, you know, question, what is the secret to the immortality of the Jewish people? I mean, how do you explain mm -hmm. the continued existence of the Jewish people against all odds? You know, it's one thing explaining like the Hanukkah story, how we kicked out the Maccabees, you know, the Maccabees kicked out the the Greeks and maybe the, but to go through every single one, including modern Israel today, mm -hmm. you know, to me, that that's a very, very, but again, that's more of a external argument, you know, like how, how do you explain that you and me having this conversation right now, um, when, when there's just been the history of humanity has been that minority ethnicities like the Jews have either been completely assimilated or annihilated. There is no example of any other minority um, that has okay. either either not completely assimilated or been completely not. And we've come pretty close to both, but neither has actually happened. Um, but I, I, I appreciate the more internal spiritual approach that you articulated. And I think that resonates with a lot of young people today. You know? Yeah. And I think the approach you mentioned is also really important. Um, but I also think it's, it's based on our perception of God and how he appeared. And yeah, that's all we've got. Yeah. That's all we've got is our perception. Let me ask you a question while we're on that, um, anti-Semitism, your friend, Rudy Rockman, who's my friend too, um, has this quote, they don't hate us cause they ain't us. They hate us cause we ain't us. Yeah. Do you agree with that? And how would you, how, you know, um, so uh, let me, let me unpack yeah. that. Let me yeah, unpack please. that. And, um, so you said they don't hate us cause we, cause they ain't us. Oh, they don't hate us cause they ain't us. They hate us cause we ain't us. Cause we ain't us like emphasis on we, like if we were, if we were yeah, yeah, yeah. who we were supposed to be. And there so would be more anti-Semitism anymore today. So I, I agree and disagree, and I'll tell you why. First of yeah. all, I, I saw that posted, and I saw a lot of backlash, and I think it's very deep, um, and it can go into many more layers. And I'm sure that when Rudy wrote it, he he meant it from the deep perspective because of the deep person that he is. He's a very thought-out person. 
um, just people, you know, responding once again, respond according to their perception. Um, so they don't hate us cause they ain't us. Um, that can be true. And that touches upon the topic of being the chosen nation. We are the chosen mm -hmm. nation, but that doesn't mean that we're chosen and we're the best and that's it. No, being the chosen nation means that we have a huge, massive responsibility of living by the Torah, the Torah's values and learning about the Torah, which is an extension of God. Um, but the second part, they hate us because we, they hate us because we ain't us can be a little, they hate us because we ain't us can be a little, um, what's a miss, miss, uh, misunderstood because they will hate us even if we are us. So that's mm -hmm. the problem with that. Mm -hmm. Even if we're the holy Rabbi Akiva, there's so many saints in our Jewish history that died, Al-Kiddush Hashem, that died even though they were perfect in God's eyes and perfect. And sometimes people, you know, get killed in, in these, in these anti-Semitic attacks, not because they were meant to get killed, not because um, they weren't following God's ways. That's a very harsh way to, to put it because we don't understand why some people pass. Right. We, I'm sure, you know, in Jewish right. history, all these incredible rabbis that just that died and we don't we can't understand why, you know, it wasn't like they did something and they died. And I don't think that the world that Hashem is so. Is so I mean, there is an opinion that Hashem is very Mida, can I get Mida? And like, if we don't do something, then it's, you know, cause and effect. But personally, the way I like to view God is that he's all loving and that and that. They hate us because we ain't us. No, we could be us and they'll they'll kill us the no matter is. what. The they'll still is. hate us because Asaf Sonas Yaakov. You know, Asaf hates Yaakov, and, and that was that was the first verse in the Torah where it says it's it, it 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 exemplifies like the future generations. That's history repeating itself. Like we will experience anti-Semitism no matter what. Um, but the first part I must re-accentuate and and repeat that we still have a responsibility, but that responsibility doesn't have to do with us not being us meaning it's two separate sentences i wouldn't put it together i would say we have to be our role we have to do our part we have we were chosen to be a light upon the nations they're gonna hate no matter what whether we do our part or not so it's two separate things and then for and based on that then what's what's the stance we take in other words if there's no rational basis for anti-semitism it's not something we brought on ourselves. And by the way, hundred percent agree with that. I think it's nonsense to say, well, if we only act like this, they'll like us. Okay. And I can prove to you basically that that'll never work because we've been hated for contradictory reasons. Haman yeah. hated the Jewish people because uh, he said we were not good citizens and we followed our own rules and our own laws. Hitler said that we were getting too close. We, we own the banks, our daughters are marrying their sons. Exactly. And you could literally have in the same generation people hating the Jew for contradictory reasons. So if we take the reason and we say, ah, let's look at why mm. we've been hated all these years and let's change accordingly, twist ourselves into some kind of pretzel so we can be yeah. like we think they want us to be. Yeah. That's not going to cause not... anyone to like us. Exactly. All it will do, all it will do was, was, is, is, is promote assimilation. And by the way, exactly. that was... That actually was one of the approaches in certain part of Jewish history was that if we would assimilate, 
-hmm. And that was Theodor Herzl. You should know that before Herzl became the great Zionist, he was an assimilationist. Mm -hmm. And the Haskalah movement. He was completely, and and, um, it was not until the Dreyfus trial, which he covered as a journalist, that he saw that it doesn't matter how much the Jew tries to assimilate. The Jew is going to be hated anyway. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say by everyone all the time, but but um, the idea that I can become someone that will be loved by the nations of the world has been a mistake that we've made. So I appreciate what you're saying. The question is, what do you do with that then? Once you're left with this, it's just, it's just a complete, you know, irrational. And I, and I think in general, all forms of bigotry and hatred, not just anti-Semitism, are in some level, you know, irrational you know, or the fear of the unknown. Um, that w- w- what's the stance that we take? I mean, obviously we have to fight back. So, but yeah. Yeah, I think, I think if their hate can serve us as a motivation for us to be better, then so be it. But their hate is not directly correlated to our responsibility. You understand there's like a slight yeah. nuance there. So I think these are two separate sentences that were put into one mush mm-hmm. and we have a responsibility from God to be the light upon the nations and to learn his Torah and to embody godliness into the world. And then we also have an understanding that no matter what we do, we are going to be hated because Asaph Sona is Yaakov and that's how it was destined to be since, since the Torah, since Asaph and Yaakov. And when Mashiach comes, and it even says in the text there, many commentaries comment on that verse, when Mashiach comes, things will be different. You know, we'll reach, we'll reach a state of a state of calm and a state of peace within one another. But right now it is how it is. So um, it's, it's, it's a hard pill to swallow because we don't want to accept it and we're not supposed to accept right. it. Right. But it's important to view them as two separate things. Yeah, yeah. And I think, unfortunately, I mean, as I get older, I kind of feel this like, there's just certain realities in life. And one yeah. of those realities is anti-Semitism, and we just have to deal with it as best as we can without rationalizing it, you know, yeah. and um, which is offensive to people anyway who are subject to anti-Semitism. You know, you tell somebody, this is why the Nazis did what they did to all the Jews in Europe. It almost trivializes the whole thing. Um, what, what would you say to someone, because you, you came out very strong just now um, about, you know, the, the Jewish people being this chosen people. Um, you, you spoke about before bringing, you know, revealing God's, you know, uh, revealing God from his hiddenness in the world. So how are we supposed to be a light amongst the nations? What does that mean practically? Like we throw that term around. What, what are we supposed to be trying to get our non-Jewish brothers and sisters to do in your opinion? I think that as much as we have that responsibility as a collective and God gave us the Torah and you know this responsibility to be led as a collective, we also have an individual responsibility and we were also given individual gifts, talents, tasks, like you are incredible at certain things that another person is not incredible at. And we need to dive into those specific um, details within ourselves and use those details because clearly they were God given clearly that's what makes us individuals or else God would have made us uniform. God would have told us 
sit down and learn Torah all day and don't do anything. But no, he created a world with beautiful places to see, with other people and other religions to explore. So we're supposed to be really involved. I believe that. We're supposed to be completely immersed in the physical world, yet at the same time, um, use our talents and use our skills to draw him down. So a practical example would be, um, let's say um, I love public speaking and teaching. Let me use that for the good. Let me spread the Torah. Let me spread God's teachings. Let me connect with other people and have discussions. Whereas I could use that and not use it for the good, use it to, you know, talk about other people, talk about, um, you know, things that are shallower than what I want to talk about. Um, but for example, let's say someone has a love for fashion and they're, they're obsessed with it. it. It could sound so shallow, but it's not because if God gave that person a love for fashion, then that means they should go into the fashion industry and try their best to use their talents for the purpose of elevating it towards a godly thing. So for example, um, you know, we have, you know, we have uh, Jewish modesty laws, you know, make the dresses look, represent and embody godliness. Like when a woman puts on that dress, she looks in the mirror and she can ask herself, does this represent body or does this represent soul? And the mm -hmm. more we have the answer that this represents soul, the more we know we're in alignment with our purpose as individuals and as a collective. So we need to really be aware of our actions in every single thing that we do. Even the wow. food we eat. The food we eat needs to be healthy because we're here to nourish our bodies just so that our souls can continue rectifying whatever they need to do in this lower world. We're here for a very short, limited amount of time. And then we go back and return. So we need to understand that when we're coming from that perspective, we, we're going to take, we're going to, we're going to act differently, you know? So this is all about basically taking anything in the world, anything physical. Yeah. You just gave two yeah. great examples, fashion and um, food, you know, which seem like, you know, just very shallow, kind of, you know, not terribly deep. But if they're there and you have a talent, let's say, in, in any one of those areas, I mean, I, and I guess this is what's behind all the content you create on Instagram, because Instagram itself is such an interesting platform, you mm -hmm. know, because it could... It's so big that it could spread whatever it is yeah. you're spreading. But how do you feel about, I guess, sharing? I mean, I, I struggle with this myself. I'm not as maybe out there as you are, but I'm trying to get more people engaged. And the only way to do it today is through social media. Um, how do you feel about using a platform that is used in, unfortunately, not in the most savory, wonderful ways and using yeah. it to sort of, you know, for more sanctified purposes? That's a really great question because I, I definitely struggle with it myself. A lot of the times I'll go on the app and it'll, it'll end up consuming me. Like yeah. it's one yeah. thing after the next and you're like, whoa, your brain's overly stimulated and, and everything's like shallow at the end of that hour of scrolling. You didn't really gain anything. Um, but I think the power is when you come on as a creator versus as a consumer. When you come on to create and to give, that's where your opportunity is. And mm. also understanding that every single thing in this world is neutral. God created it neutral. And we as humans, as co-creators, have the opportunity to either elevate, to let that thing be the same, leave it in neutral, or make it even worse. So let's take, for example, Instagram. I could I could leave it in neutral and just scroll and not add, not add or remove anything from it. I can elevate by sharing positive things, 
Um, and it doesn't have to always be Torah, Torah. No, like I said, it could be fashion in a modest way. It could be food in a kosher way, anything that will represent godliness. Or unfortunately, I could use it for horrible things. Yeah. And, um, you know, God forbid, I mean, we can all use our imaginations. We can, God forbid, someone could use it for horrible things and make it, that renders the neutral thing, Instagram, even lower than what it was originally created yeah. for. So God creates every single thing in this world as neutral. And we, this is where our power comes in. We have the ability to render that either positive or negative. And that's our power as co-creators. With great power comes great responsibility. I love that line from Spider-Man, but it's, uh, yeah. I think the internet is such a great example of this. You know, I always use the example of wine. Like there are some religions that forbid wine altogether because you could completely destroy your life, become alcoholic mm -hmm. and just get smashed and say and do things you're embarrassed. But you could also use the wine to elevate your state just a tad so you could exactly. connect with that Shabbat experience even more, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, I just think it's, it's Judaism really challenges us in that regard. And I, uh, I give you a lot of credit because it's easier in a sense to just say, you know what? Instagram has been so schmutzed up already or, uh, you know, whatever platform, I'm not normally to beat up Instagram, whatever platform mm -hmm. has been so sort of schmutzed up already, you know, let's just leave it, mm -hmm. you know, but I think that's one of our tasks um, in this world, which is to elevate and to sanctify. And if it's out there, then it's, 100%. it's, it's open. That we have. Yeah. And I like the way yeah, that we that, have to use it. You got to use it. Wanna... Yeah. Yeah, go for it. I want to add, you said, you said, you, um, we, if it's out there, we have to use it and it means we can't, we can't fully disregard it. And there was actually recently a group of women, and this is not to put anyone down, God forbid, but their view was to gather, it was 20,000 women was to gather and to get rid of Instagram as a whole. Now, because they felt so consumed by Instagram mm -hmm. that they decided to not use it at all, to not, to, you know, to completely get rid of it. And the issue is that is, first of all, so many different issues, but we have to look at the good that Instagram does also. If you have a business on there, you can make, you know, you, it's mm -hmm. some people's sources of parnasa of income. Um, it's a great way to connect to other fellow, fellow people, fellow Jews. Um, it's a great way to learn, you know, so it's all, once again, our perspective, it's really, really important. And also my perspective is that to disregard it is certainly not the appropriate um, right. Solution. Although, although maybe temporarily, you know, I've, I've had students who said to me that they need to do a detox, they need to do a detox and remove yeah, that's it fine. from their phone. Um, and what about, what would you say to someone who can't control themselves, like from swiping and just rolling for hours a night and they're not creating content, let's say like you're doing, they're just mm -hmm. consuming it and it's just eating, it's just wreaking havoc on their soul. But what do you tell a parent? Because a lot of kids who are not create, most kids are not creating, most adolescents are not creating content. They're consuming it, um, you know, and, and they can't, and they can't handle it. Yeah, it's a problem. And um, a lot of people can find themselves in situations like that. And I think it's important to ask ourselves, why, uh, how do we get to this point? And are we hiding, are we avoiding something? Are we avoiding a greater responsibility and just using scrolling as filling a void? Sure. Because when, when scrolling becomes so, 
rampant and we're just like, that's all we end up doing throughout our day. And we're avoiding to the point that we're avoiding basic tasks. Um, there's, there's an issue, there's a deeper issue mm -hmm. that we need to dive into. Um, so really what are we avoiding? What are we afraid of? And I think that Instagram and social media as a whole sometimes serves as a cover up for masking our responsibility. And, um, we really have to be aware of our actions, including when we're scrolling. Um, <laughs> Yeah. What can I say to that? I mean, it's, 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 I'm not a professional, but I, I definitely think that there's an avoidance of responsibility there that's hiding. Yeah. And, uh, I, I mean, I, I have, I have advised some, some people to get off it all together, not permanently, but to come back to it when they're in a better place and they can handle, um, or they can be more disciplined about it because it's, it's killing a lot of people's sleep at night and it's also yeah. with adolescents also you know you know all the issues of besides the cyber bullying and those kinds of things it does create a certain fomo um with yeah. i just remember we were i was with my daughter a couple of years ago she's 18 now um but a couple of years ago we went away on a rented vacation we were able to go away to florida for a couple of days and we rented a boat and it's such a fun time she was about to post and I said, you know what? She had just told me about two of her friends that for whatever reason, their families weren't able to go away. Mm. And then I just, I'm like, they're home and they're going to mm. see, they're going to see her friend out on a boat with her friends. You know, she got invited, whatever. And they're going to be like, you know, how can their parents, how come we couldn't take out a boat? How come we couldn't go away? You know, and right. yeah, it's, it's, it's complicated. It is, you know, so I'm, uh, I'm, I, I, I think if you're a rational, solid, you know, well, well-adjusted adult, you should be able to understand the void that it's filling and deal with it. Mm -hmm. Not mm -hmm. everybody, not everybody's in that place. I think for sure. Not everyone's in that place, but I think even people that are constantly scrolling are aware that they're over scrolling and they know that. They know that they're not where they're supposed to be. And so getting help, even talking to a friend about the excessive scrolling is step number one. Yeah. 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 Well, look, you've done amazing things and your content is great. And I'm, I'm just going to ask you one last question because sure. you, know, you know, that term maybe we'll conclude yes. on a, on a deep note. So this is just anyone who's listening. Dira means a, a, a dwelling place vitachtonim here um mm -hmm. in the lower realms you were talking about the the four different worlds that we're in the world of asiya uh it's loosely translated as creating a space for god to be yes. manifest in this world um what, why does that resonate so much with you and how do you think that we can expand this a little more because i think i think there's something there that could could speak to a lot more people you know in the younger generation 20s 30s Sure. So it resonates with me really strongly because I've moved to so many different places in my life. And, um, you know, sometimes we, we find our meaning through stability and consistency, but because I've moved in so many places, I had to find my meaning elsewhere. And I found my meaning in connecting to God, um, no matter where I was. So that was my sense of stability and meeting mm -hmm. the fact that I was able to connect to God wherever I was. And I, 
even recognize that every time I'm connecting, I'm creating a dwelling space for him. So I'm really creating a home for him wherever I am, whether I'm on vacation, whether no matter what country I'm in. And I think that really made a huge impact on me. And um, it's a stabilizing, it also, like a stabilizing force in your life, no matter where you are, there's always bringing God into that place. Exactly, exactly. And um, the stabilizing force also allowed me to recognize my responsibility and that every place that I have not yet been to, you know, still has that opportunity for there to be godliness revealed there. So it's just, it's just a very um, powerful concept that gives me a sense of responsibility and um, truly should have the ability to give everyone a sense of responsibility if they connect to it. And um, yeah, I'll just add one more practical example for those um, that want to understand it more clearly you know, just literally like an apple, an apple could be so simple. You could be eating it as you're typing and then throwing it out, or you could like observe the apple and say a bracha and the bracha, the blessing is like understanding where it comes from. It comes from ha'etz, it comes from the tree. And then you're eating it with awareness. That's truly drawing down this like godly energy because, and it's just sustaining you. And it's really giving you all the nutrients going to the, your, whatever streams, I'm not a scientist, but like your bloodstream and all the other faculties in your, in your body, your digestive system, like there's so much into it. When you finish the apple and you say the after blessing, you're thanking God for the sustenance. It's much deeper than eating an apple if you're not aware of it. So Judaism and creating a dwelling space for God is truly just having complete acute awareness of your actions. Beautiful. And I, the example of eating the apple was perfect because it's such a real everyday kind of thing. And that's ultimately what the mitzvot are there to sanctify our everyday yes. lives from the minute we wake up until the minute we go to sleep. Um, I thank you so much for sharing that beautiful idea and all of all of the wonderful work you're doing. You are really, I just want to say this to you, uh, you know, uh, Sarah, that you, you are creating, you're helping to create a Dira B'Tachtonim. You are truly helping to bring and reveal God's light in the world. And you're articulating how the mitzvot help you do that huge Kiddush Hashem. It's the greatest thing you could be doing for other people because our generation is in such need of that stability. Like wherever you go, you know, no matter where you are, if it's vacation, if it's home, or you keep moving homes, there's always bringing Hashem and revealing God in every single aspect of what we do in the physical world through the Torah and the mitzvot. And I thank you for sharing that message. It's a very powerful and important message for our listeners and uh, Hashem should bless you with continued success. You should just keep, keep getting out there and keep sharing it more and more. Thank you so much. This was really incredible. Thank you for this opportunity. And um, I'm really excited to check out more of your work as well. hundred percent. And you're invited to come in person. You know, we actually exist in real. Thank you. Uh, we have three sites, Yay. three sites in the city. And um, um, I know you're, I don't know. Do you get to the city? You're in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah, I can get to the city. I'm, yeah. I'm not so far. I'm in New Jersey. All right, we need to do something in, yeah. in poison, as they say. It'll be great. Yes, <laughs> I'm all in. I'm all in. Thank you so much, Rabbi.